0: Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. It's going to be another one of these podcasts today. You know, <laughs> where I co-host an audio-based show where I can't speak.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. Your speech may be horrifying right now as you struggle through uh, some kind of seasonal flu or cold or right. whatever it is. Yeah. But your text yesterday was quite horrifying. <laughs> I will just give people a quick flavor. You better be ready with the beep switch. I f*** you for giving me your gold account so I could watch this f- Well, Well, I never.
0: Are you not even going to give any background as to, like... Well, I
1: am. You... You said you were upset that the Spurs match was behind the paywall. Right. I said, you can have my gold account. It
0: was so very generous of you. Yes. And And then the game happened. The game happened and the vitriol. Yeah, because I realized something when I sent you that text. That sometimes we need people in our lives who care about us, who need to protect us from ourselves. And we all knew Tottenham weren't winning that game. And we all knew that it was going to be... Some sort of incredible disappointment. I didn't know that they would blow not one but two leads at home over the course of a game. We all knew that this was going to happen, and yet you allowed me to take your your gold account and watch it anyway. I, I pictured you just— as So I'm an sent, enabler. As you sent me the text message with your account info, I pictured you just laughing like some evil— Evil villain, just knowing what was about to play out, and I needed you to protect me from myself. Well, we'll talk. About I take no responsibility we'll, for my own actions. We'll
1: talk about that game later, and hopefully, by the time you've uh, you've thought about things and digested things, you'll apologize.
0: Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath. We have a lot to get to. This is a, uh, I, I don't know, man. This actually, not to say that like the season felt like it was dragging in any way, uh, but this felt across the whole sport like kind of a, a standout weekend mm. for so many. Different reasons. Obviously, it was the beginning of MLS, which we'll talk about. Um, You had insane scenes in Germany in the Bundesliga, which we're going to talk about in greater detail uh, with Stefan Butzko, who's covered the Bundesliga and Borussia Dortmund for a long time. He's going to join us in the second half of the podcast to explain why Bayern Munich and Hoffenheim ended the last 10 minutes of their match with like a game of hockey (laughs) sack. Like what? in the world is going on. Why is ownership there treated so much differently than it is to what we're accustomed to here? It's a really in- interesting situation that they're dealing with. So he'll give us more of the uh, the in-depth on that. El Clasico, Real Madrid. We have a true title race on in La Liga. We'll talk about that. There's like, and a, a trophy was handed out in England like a cup by the given. way
1: that game was the most minor game of the weekend yeah. it got relegated so far down the pecking order probably unfairly considering there was it's one of the three major domestic trophies on offer in England but there it was and so, i think more people watched well obviously in america more people watch the Classico than watch the league cup final but i think i'd love to see viewership figures well, for that well
0: here here's the thing we, we can't force other leagues to like, we can't force El Clasico to not be on the day of the Cup. I know, I, but it, but what we can do, I, I do kind of feel like some sort of accommodation should be made. If you're gonna like, whatever we think of the League Cup, like, I, I don't know, we may consider it fourth in the pecking order, but it's still a trophy being handed out. I kind of feel like in England they should have the date to themselves. But when you had the drama. Yeah,
1: I I tend to agree with like, that With the
0: Tottenham C- Wolves and Everton United happening right before that game, it and, seems weird to me. It gets and, lost and Both in that.
1: games having their own levels of entertainment yes. b- beyond what would, what would be served up in the cup final. Yeah, I mean the argument. It, yeah, let's not go into that argument. But I I will say that it felt like oh you've had all this exciting football. You're gonna have exciting football from Spain later, and kind of wedged in is a Man City win against Aston Villa, sort of
0: nondescript.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Although Villa did battle manfully in the second half.
0: Yes, that's true. But we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, but really what stole the headlines this weekend across all of Europe was Liverpool. It has happened. They have been vanquished and defeated. Uh, and who who would have ever – I guess what makes it – it's not crazy to think that Liverpool were going to lose at some point um, – you know they have lost games this season not in the league but mm-hmm. like we've seen them lose you can't necessarily say that this team is is beyond that um, but i don't think any of us would have thought that Watford would have been the team to do it well uh that's
1: where i would disagree with you andrew and and, and that's not cuz i'm smarter than everybody else i <laughs> uh, no seriously so uh, i was in the monroe in brooklyn watching the game and my friend greg asked me, he goes, what what do you think of this one? And I said, they created a lot of chances against us when they played us the last time. I said, I'm not betting against us getting it done, but they'll be tricky. And they turned out to be much more than tricky. They came with a a really good game plan executed by Sergeant Pearson's Hornet Army.
0: And what was that game plan?
1: Well, the game plan was, as uh, Michael Cox noted in The Athletic and as was noted by Troy Deeney after the game, that they, they sat deep in a low block. At some points, they had six across the back with three in front and they transitioned very, very quickly and caused huge amounts of problems for Liverpool's high line in behind. And that was it. Uh, they also battled really, really well. They absorbed the loss of De La Feo to a horrific, or what looked horrific, mm. um, from the replay's uh, injury. Uh, Ismail Sar coming back into the team was a revelation, caused huge problems in behind. And you add in the The variable, a man who has not started a game for the club since December at centre back, who reminded me of his outing. Remember the outing where Dejan Lovren was taken off after thirty minutes against Spurs. Okay, yeah. I mean that must be the last time we conceded three goals in a in a in a league game, or more than three goals in a league game. We were beaten what four one that day, was it? I think so.
0: Yeah, uh, Kane just owned him then. Right,
1: and he came off, and that was the time where he talked about painkillers to stiff it and everything. I think with a player like that, to throw him in was a mistake by Klopp, and he was so wound up that he went and competed with Deeney for every single ball. And our mutual friend Burke was at the bar with me, and I said, Burke, I know it's not going to work out like this. Deeney's not going to... the game's not going to start, and Deeney's going to line up alongside versus Van Dijk. Mm. It's going to be on Dejan Lovren's side, but I really wish that there's some way they'll swap sides and 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 they go and they don't allow Lovren to be bullied. And he was bullied. And he also had the pent-up aggression of a man who he felt like he had to contest every ball. And so Liverpool consistently lost their shape from him. He there's a 50-50 ball to be won. If it's 40, 30 yards from goal and you're playing a high line, let him have it. Mm -hmm. Let him turn. He's got the whole field above him. Certainly don't run out of, of, of position and leave space in behind and destroy the shape of the team. He had a nightmare, but he wasn't the only one.
0: Well, I think what you're describing is a guy who's pressing. Like, this to me is like the textbook definition of a guy who's just overthinking his game right now. Yeah, right. Who, who may not be very good to begin with. Right. I mean, I've talked about him for years, how little I think of him as a player.
1: But, yeah, and, and if you don't start regularly, the, the emphasis is on you to be seen to go and make a play. You know the way, the, you know, in, in the NFL, players talk about, all I just want to do is get out and make a play for my team. Well, mm-hmm. that's a set-piece game. In, fo- in soccer, you sometimes less is more. And he was trying to go for everything. We had bad performance, like Trent Alexander Arnold for the third goal, just some bad defending in general. Um, we weren't at it. We were flat from the get-go. We got caught out.: that's Yeah, it.
0: I think the thing that's most surprising to me I mean, it's not necessarily well, the fact that you conceded three is it is surprising because of what I think of Liverpool's defense, but I think it's the fact that Watford managed to walk away with that with a clean sheet. Uh, and, yeah, uh, one uh,
1: shot on target.
0: Yeah, like that's that's the side of Liverpool that I don't but think... But
1: that's where you've got to give credit, I think, to to Nigel Pearson and the way he set the team up, Andrew. Like, I, I counted in the second half when we were pressing not to get... um it was 2-0 when we were we were attacking and I remember counting 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 bodies across the width of the 18 yards and there was no space mm-hmm. and the pace of Liverpool's play you know the quick zip passing into Firmino that that would break up Salah or or break up um break up the block of Watford defenders and get Salah in I mean it didn't happen enough um there's a there's a funny tweet I might as well laugh about it you know cuz there's no point being as stupidly sad as as some people were and I suppose I was on Saturday night I was a little bit melancholy
0: I saw your Twitter like we'll get to that it was a
1: bit much oh it was a lot much it was a bit much oh I embarrassed myself there's no question (laughs) Um, I just I, 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 I became what I most hate but my favorite, my favorite tweet of the night was Evan Fanning's tweet. Oh. Um, Evan tweeted, "Laverne is to blame for all of this. Even when it's not directly his fault, he unsettles everyone else. It's like trying to relax at home knowing there's a stranger drinking cans of beer in your kitchen. Think about that for a second. <laughs> You're on the sofa and there's a rando right. in your kitchen, skull and cans.
0: That is – it all feels a bit unpredictable.
1: That is an unpredictable variable you don't want.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the Liverpool Twitter reaction. Twitter, oh, my word. Twitter became a very funny place uh, when this game ended yeah. just because, <laughs> first of all, Liverpool fans once again uh, – and look, they probably already hate me. So what? I'll just continue to double and i lean down. into it. <laughs> I'll just – but like they continue, it sometimes seems, to like adopt this posture of like we deserve – these things like they they felt almost like this sense of shock that they now weren't going to go for the season unbeaten and they like it turned around in lashing out and anger <laughs> towards other clubs towards anyone who would like take any sort of enjoyment out of this and Liverpool fans had to know the the rest of the league does not love them for whatever reason and Everyone was kind of rooting well, when for you're, this to When happen. you're
1: the most successful team in, in, in there we go. British football history, well, this it happens. Is pra-
0: right, parade out it's that It's the line. same
1: way people didn't like United when they were winning or
0: City when they were winning. Right. It's obvious. But And so just like seeing Liverpool fans then lash out, I kind of thought when, they, when this loss would come, this was always going to be a hard thing for them to do. And when the loss came, I thought it would be more of a like, well, that was an awesome run. This title is still with <laughs> grasp. But instead, it was just like, it was hate and it was so funny. So... I basically – I've created something for you. Okay. (laughs) And this is kind of like my – if Twitter were human, what the day would have kind of like sounded like for human beings – real human Twitter communicating with one another because there was Liverpool hate and then Arsenal chimed in with their tweet of phew after like they're they're kind of like their joke uh, like every year when when the final team loses in the NFL uh, from going unbeaten the Miami Dolphins always have like this like they toast to one another for still being the last team to go undefeated in a season Mm. like that was kind of Arsenal doing that as a, paying homage to their invincibles. And then the hate went towards them. Like, no one was immune from but hate. But then, but even in the middle of that, Nottingham Forest's <laughs> official account goes, hey, Arsenal, any European Cups in that oh, run yeah. of undefeated? Incredible. I couldn't believe, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised by it, but the Twitter hate storm that got unleashed from Liverpool losing it, this game Twitter, was hilarious to me. Twitter
1: is built for this.
0: So this, to me, is my my take on human Twitter, Real like, Coming to terms with the Liverpool I'm excited.
1: For the first time in 422
0: days, Liverpool have lost a Premier League game. Yeah, f*** you, Liverpool. Can't even beat Watford. What a joke. I knew this team had been living off luck for the last six months. Yeah, let's all rejoice in Liverpool fans' misery. Liverpool sucks. Liverpool sucks. Yeah, right, guys. This is great. This is awesome. Uh, who the f*** are you? Oh, I'm 0304 Arsenal. You know, the Invincibles. This is great, right? Liverpool sucks. Yeah, come on, everybody now. F*** you, you piece of sh- Invincibles. You tied 30% of your games. What a fraud. Not even a top-10 team all time. F*** off, losers. Well, who do you like? Me? I'm Twitter. I hate everyone. Because I'm smarter and better than everyone. You dumb d- <laughs>
1: It's so true.
0: That is what the day looked like on Twitter. Oh yeah, and I,
1: I was so annoyed at myself for getting sucked in because, uh, I, I, like I had to restate, um, that all three or four Arsenal team were unbelievable. They were a brilliant team. No one wanted to admit that but, over the weekend. W- but wait for this. Then you see, Jacob Steinberg of the Guardian. Yeah. Tweets out his list of teams that were better than the Invincibles. What? He put in Mourinho's 0405, 0506 team, 0405, first Mourinho team. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. All right. Miguel Delaney then decides oh. that the Invincibles are ultimately tarnished because they lost to Chelsea in the Champions
0: League. Right. See, this is what I'm saying is like everyone. Is so smart. They're just like no, yeah, and it's also set up for.
1: Twitter is the home of whataboutery, you know,
0: hot takes, yes, all that, and and
1: also arguments, mm-hmm. and also pe- pedantry because people will say something, and another person will go, yeah, but oh yeah, and they'll go, and I know I've done it myself, and I, I'm realizing the pattern, my patterns on Twitter, and I'm like, oh god, like like what you've done there, if you if Twitter JJ was to walk into this room right now we would absolutely effing hate that guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, A couple other things on this before we move on to uh, some of the MLS stuff from over the weekend. Um, Did you see this? Uh, We'll play a clip from Jurgen Klopp, but I just wonder if you, in like a quiet moment, saw this coming.
1: Yeah, I did see it coming. Um, We were lucky against West Ham. I say, look, what happens with Liverpool is we, especially since since the winter... uh, Well, we haven't come back well from the winter break. And I do think rhythm is a thing with this team. When they're rolling, when they're in rhythm, maybe when we have a lot of games where we're at our most deadliest. We came out of Christmas having been in a far-flung country playing a tournament. And then we're, you know, prior to that, we were, were, um, you know, we played... Played abroad and then after that we hammered Leicester and put in one of the performances of the season. You're like, mm-hmm. where's the fatigue? Maybe, maybe that's how a well-oiled machine runs. It keeps going. It doesn't stop. And, and maybe the break didn't help us. But I feel like I'm making excuses a little bit. Tiredness has to be a factor too. Um, Henderson not being there, I, I felt we were off at, against West Ham in a in an alarming fashion. And you just thought, oh, wait. until
0: you weren't, which is that gear that they seem to have that we right. all like have. Relied upon when watching, them. right? And
1: they couldn't click into it uh, at the weekend, and
0: yeah, so there we are. Here's Jurgen Klopp uh, asked a similar question. Uh, I know I'm picking holes in an incredible season, but have you just seen this result coming? Maybe a little
2: bit over the last few weeks. West Ham, Norwich, Atletico Madrid has the level been down ever so slightly?
1: No. No, that's normal. We had to, for all teams. All teams had situations like this. It was not that uh, because of that you don't have to lose a game. We can see it now, like if you want, but we don't. We, we, we don't go in a game if we win the last one. Com- very comfortable. We don't go in the next game and think, wow. With a smash them on if we are not at our best, we don't think we will stay on that level for the next game, so there's always a chance in between the games to to change things around that's what we always used and um, no but of course, I think a lot of people will say that that you know they saw it coming congratulations I didn't
0: i think i I get what he's saying i don't think he I don't think he wants to give this team an excuse I don't think he wants to give them an out. I think he honestly expects the best from them every week and he should because more often than not they validate that but I do think it's a little bit disingenuous to say that you couldn't feel something like this coming because the performances that we've seen of late I think mainly Atletico Madrid and if you want to put West Ham in there as well I don't know it just doesn't seem to be like that all-consuming overwhelming Liverpool that dominated the first you know two-thirds of the season yeah and I think it's also
1: worth pointing out and again um Liverpool for the for the SAR goal where he dinks it over Alisson. How many times in the season have we seen one-on-ones where you're just like, Alisson's going to save this. Mm-hmm. And he stands up and he saves it. So there was a sense that at some point the team's going to come along and take their chances. And here they are. And uh, Liverpool's still in a great position. Oh, but I mean, the, but the, season the is still over. But the, but the reaction to this now is going to be interesting because, you know, um, as Jonathan Wilson pointed out this morning... You know, there's a chance for immortality with this team to match the 84 team that won the league and the European Cup. And if you're not at it in Europe, you might get away. Liverpool might not be at it in another game and get away with it in the Premier League, say Bournemouth coming up or whatever. You won't get away with it in Europe.
0: No. No. I mean they're in a hole heading into a second leg of around a round of 16. so yeah like the, the the you know they're already backed into a corner in Europe. It'll be interesting to see what kind of imprint this leaves on the season for them um you know they're got what they've craved for all these years is this title in England which they're going to get, but this became such a thing, this idea that could this happen. Um, and could it happen I, in an even more glorious way than what happened with Arsenal? It became such a thing that I do wonder if there will be sort of this like. I, ah, we, but we could have done
1: that. I'm not sure because again, I think when you have to think that way. Well, I think winning the league and the Champions League would be. I mean, well, yeah,
0: okay, it, yes. If that
2: happens, I, I, I sure.
1: think I think that is that's the thing because it has been about trophies for this team. It's about it has been about picking up, and certainly for the supporters, it has the European the, the European Super Cup took on a. A splendor that I didn't certainly put on it, but there it is. The Other fans definitely did, mm. and um, also the World Club Cup put took on a splendor as well. And it's about it did it not for me, but okay. <laughs> for for others it did. All right. and, and that and I'm totally fine with that. So there we are.
0: All right. Um, let's see. Let's uh, let's bounce around a little bit, JJ. I want to get to MLS opening weekend. Really fun weekend. The league is back. We're very happy about it. Um, instead of kind of going through game by game, I sort of just. I have my three things that stood out, and I know you have your three as well. Um, how do you want to do this? You want to go back and forth here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. For me, really, this – I don't mean to like belittle whatever you're about to put there. But to me, sadly, there's one thing that trumps everything that happened this weekend, and it was a bad thing. And it's Joseph Martinez tearing his ACL in the first game uh, for – or the first domestic league game for Atlanta this uh, this season. Um Look, the league is bigger than everybody. Like the like, we're still going to go on to have a fun season. Um, you know that that's not in doubt. However, there are a select few guys that heading into a year, I would say, okay, like these guys cannot get hurt, or it's actually damaging to the league. And Joseph Martinez is one of those guys to me. He well, is a, him, Vela. In in this year, I would say Chicharito, just because there's intrigue around him. Like these guys are a, a draw unto themselves. Yes, and and you know. Vela, specifically, and Joseph Martinez have validated it with what they've done since they've come to this league. Um, and it sucks. Like I don't know. I'm not an Atlanta fan, but I want the best players to be playing. Yeah. And he is so clearly one of those guys, and it was just hard to see him down on the ground like that and to to pretty much know what was coming, and it was confirmed last night, torn ACL. It's awful.
1: Yeah, and it looked innocuous enough as well, but often the worst ACL. usually how those go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it was Minnesota going on the road, beating the Portland Timbers, and rendering you a fool in the process.
0: Oh, so uh, you're going to do that after one game?
1: Well, no, but it's kind of fun. You got a bit of heat from some Minnesota fans for not giving them enough love. Well, I saw
0: Paul Rizdahl, uh, who tweets at us often, who ripped me last year for not giving them enough love. Um, he was quick to jump back. And I said, You're, you have every right to do that, just how I feel.
1: Well, allow me to give them the love. Uh, Luis Amaria absolutely bullied that Portland back line to the point where every ball over the top seemed like he was going to win it or it was they were going to be through on goal. It was a horrifying night. For Giovanni Savarese's defence, to go out and see them play like that, because I don't think, I mean, Minnesota deserved the victory, but ooh, it was ugly. It was That was a
0: great win for them.
1: Brilliant win for Minnesota, but I think, I think Savarese's going to look at it and think, I'm going to have to do something with my centre-backs because they're going to get ripped apart this season if it goes on like this.
0: Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, Molina was amazing. Yes, the second goal. Uh, I don't know if Ethan Finley kind of meant for the flick to go exactly the way that it did, but it turned out to be a brilliant goal to put that game away. Uh, so, all right, you have my attention, Minnesota United fans. I could be wrong. We'll find out. It's one game, and I'm not. not, I don't want to make it like I'm rooting against them to validate my own opinion. Um, I hope they are good. Like their fan base is awesome. The team is likable. Uh. But it is one game, and we'll we'll see what happens next. Uh, let's see, JJ. Well, while you're going to try to make me look dumb, I will make myself look smart uh, and say the number two things that stood out to me this weekend was the performance of Jordan Morris, who I had tabbed as my uh, player I'm most excited about this season. He was he did not start, and he was by all reports, really, really angry about it. And they said afterwards that he channeled that anger and he scored two goals. Did did they say why he didn't start? Did he have a knock or... I don't know if this is like residual from uh, CONCACAF Champions League uh, or what, but um, he did not start. He obviously, I mean, he is going to be a starter for them. uh, But he came in and he scored two goals and you could tell he was just like a man on a mission, which is kind of the Jordan Morris that I thought we would be getting for this season. And uh for him to to jump out to that kind of beginning uh I think it's great because I love the guy and um Seattle needed it to come away with that 2-1 victory uh so yeah we'll we'll see what happens next cuz I mean he he's just got a start he's he's so clearly of that caliber for them so good start for him really enjoyed it i'm really a bright guy
1: Carlos Vela for me, Andrew, against Inter-Miami, who were much better coached, as you said they would be, and were much more sterner opposition, as you said they would be, than uh, than I had expected. Ergo, you're a smarty-pants once again. Um, now, neither Atlanta or LAFC overly impressed in their outings versus the new boys, but that goal by Vela kind of stood out for me because... First of all, it was so deftly done, so expertly clipped beyond Luis Robles who ended up in the net rigging like some kind of mad shaven-headed fish. Oh man. Um, but it was a reminder of in tight games like this, those who have that little bit of quality are always going to win through and always will have that little bit of an edge. And LAFC didn't play very well. It wasn't a great game. It was okay. Um, but that little bit of quality in the game made all the difference. And a reminder that this guy is in a rare streak and he is their talisman.
0: And by the way, we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week because I think the game happened after we had recorded. Yeah. But their comeback in the CONCACAF Champions League was amazing. It
1: was. And, you know. And
0: th- those are the kind of games that. Like, as much as it can right now, those are the games that can put that competition on the map. Those in, are the in games you need
1: to have happening. Now, I would like to say that the Central American teams have been much stronger as well. If we're saying MLS has been a little bit better um, over the past few years, then Central America, this was a, a, a kind of a coming out party. They gave a lot of tough games to teams that you would have thought would, would have blown the various opposition away. Um, to come back from 2 0 down. Yep, That was really, really good because anyone who watched that first leg, they were toast. And it just goes to show you, a few more training sessions, few more uh, games together makes all the difference.
0: Yeah. And I, I wonder now if people will consider them a favorite. Like once they got through that hurdle, um, if they could go on now and I don't want to say coast. It's never going to be easy <laughs> no. in that competition. But yeah, MLS in the end with a, a pretty solid showing. Yes. Um my final one here, JJ. I just want to give a nod to Nashville. Um, what a scene! Amazing scene uh, in that stadium this weekend. just a hair under sixty thousand, uh, largest attended game of the weekend in MLS. Probably one of the largest attended around the world. Yep. Um, and uh, they did not get the win in the end. It was always going to be tough against that opponent. But you know, I think they made you know that fan base made a statement that they are they're in. Like, this, and, is, this is a thing, and they are excited about it. Uh, and their, and little, a great scene.
1: their little gimmick is going to be making a record when someone scores of the call of the goal. So you have Timber Joey, you have um, Johnny Spikes in Atlanta, and now you got Record Man in, uh, in Music City.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I enjoyed watching that. Really did.
1: Do they fry up a cheesesteak when the Union score? No, no. And present the cheesesteak after the game?
0: It's like it's a wonderful life. Every time a goal is scored. Cheesesteak? What'd you say? Gets fried up? Yeah, that's how they. That's how they do it.
1: What would they uh, do in Chicago if
0: uh, uh, something with deep dish? I suppose. I don't know. My depth of knowledge is is not. This is how I associate all cities with just like what's their most famous food.
1: Yeah. In uh, in Seattle, what happens when you score a goal is some, it, some guy
0: throws a fish at you. A
1: seahawk attacks you. Pecks at your eyes. Uh,
0: what was your final observation for uh, the weekend? Just.
1: Something I brought up kind of in the previews was getting off to a winner. If, was there a wider smile in MLS than Tyrion Reese smiling as he strode past the vanquished Bruce Arena? I mean, he was, he looked very, very happy. I can imagine that is going to settle him after a fairly difficult preseason where the noise is coming out of camp where this is going to take time. This is going to be a build. Again,
0: they reached the quarterfinals in the Champions League and now they've started, well, here. like, I know. At, at what like I know it's still very early, but at some point, like we're gonna have to be able to say his name without smiling at the same time. Not to say that he's being treated like a punchline, but like I feel like I don't know because of Easy how. He's it all to prove. Let's be fair. All right, but he's doing well so far.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, he is good start. Chris Armas, too. Good start. Uh, and again, they're Jem Royer. Making sure that Red Bulls get the win, and I think uh, Ronnie Dahlia has the start that he didn't want. Although there were mitigating circumstances in terms of a red card, but still a defeat for for NYCFC at Columbus. And uh, yeah, I think uh, there are some managers who will take a deep breath,
0: sigh of relief. Well, Chris Arm is doing all he can to save his job after you fired him last week. <laughs> That's not <laughs> you, <fair>. animal <laughs> man. As a family, I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, what I took from that. <laughs> Let's see, we got uh, El Clasco coming up in just a sec. But first, JJ, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. Guess where? Um, ZipRecruiter.com Des Moines, Iowa. slash offside. That's ziprecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Gretchen Hebner, Gretchen Hebner, Dylan Miskowitz, two of the thousands, of the millions. Ed Woodward. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free... Our listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. Yeah, get over there and start recruiting. O-F-F-S-I-D-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, let's see, J.J. El Clasico, 2-0. Real Madrid uh, in a huge game, obviously with massive title implications, as Real Madrid now leap above Barcelona by a point uh, into the driver's seat of La Liga. This was Barcelona's chance. There's been some doubters. Uh, there's been some questioners about whether it be the new manager, whether it be their style, which seems to be, like you said last week, kind of more like Argentina-based, Messi-centric um and they did not capitalize on that chance. They lose 2-0. And they, and I kind of say capitalize on that chance almost as a pun because they did have so many chances in this game that they weren't able to finish.
1: They did. I think the most glaring one was in the first half when Messi was put in. I think, was it just prior to, to uh, halftime? And it, I know the ball sits up and he he's kind of has to volley it a little bit, but he's through on goal against Courtois and he hits it straight down the barrel at Courtois. He makes the save. But even towards the end, Barcelona were missing or passing up with any chances they had. Remember, at one nil before the the second goal, um, the late goal for Real Madrid, the header from PK. He's got to put that on the frame. Like, I don't know. The game was eh, it was okay. I thought I actually thought uh, Vinicius, and I know some of the supporters were getting a bit frustrated with him, but he did look like the most likely to score for Real
0: Madrid. Um, He was wreaking havoc all throughout, and you can just tell, like, he's such a raw, unfinished product. I know, still. And, like, his ability to kind of, like, get you back on your heels, if you're a Barcelona or a Barcelona fan, and you just, like, you're worried every time he has the ball, but I feel like he's, you know, he's not quite at that place yet in the final third where you can really consider him one of the, like, the world's greats, but I really feel like, we talked about it last year, I really feel like there's such a player in there that, You know A few things here and there And he can become A a true superstar You you say
1: that He he did a lot of damage Or he was constantly dangerous Yeah But like Real Madrid didn't have a shot They had one shot on target For For an hour's work Mm -hmm. Before Isco Made Ter Stegen Just do that most amazing save I actually think that was the The turning point in the game Real Madrid kind of woke up Real Madrid Created their best chances After Ter Stegen save there And Um Yeah, look, I think Madrid, on the balance, deserved to win the game, um, personally.
0: Yeah, I would say that that's fair. Gerard Pique, I don't know if he agreed with that. He said afterwards, and I think he was speaking more specifically about the first half, just saying that this was one of the worst Real Madrid sides that he had seen at the Bernabeu.
1: I think both sides, when you compare them to former glories, quite recent glories in the case of Real Madrid, they're way off.
0: These teams are, you're right, like these teams do not, have that feel of invincibility to me no. in that like in past Classicos you'd watch that game because you really felt like what happens here today like no matter how many months are left in the season could go a long way in determining the title but I feel like these teams are more than capable of slipping up against other random I totally agree opponents.
1: with you there's going to be drop points everywhere and yeah. it will come down to who is able to pick up more points against the kind of banana skins because I see Real Madrid losing points I see Barcelona losing points and maybe this game won't have been the definitive game in the end
0: I mean look it's still important yeah obviously uh, especially with the way head-to-head works which uh, Real Madrid now own for this season uh, because goal differential is uh, not the tiebreaker of course in La Liga but yeah fascinating day 2-0 Real Madrid Um, They go on to win that. One other note, kind of a peripheral note to this, but Eden Hazard has actually come to the United States. And he is going to have surgery on his ankle, I believe, in Dallas. Um, So that is him done more likely than not for the season for Real Madrid. I know Belgium are hoping... That he'll be ready to go for the wow. start of the European Championships. But man, this season for what for what a huge signing that was, what a huge loss for Chelsea it was, and seemingly a huge gain for Real Madrid. It just never just didn't happen for him this year. Injuries just submarine the whole thing.
1: Absolute disaster. And um what a blow for Belgium, potentially.
0: Yeah. Uh, now look, they they're so good right now uh that I I do feel like any one loss they can sustain. But like if if more injuries are to occur uh like all of a sudden it becomes a little bit more fragile for them. Definitely. Uh but yeah that's I, I really I feel bad for him because here he is with Real Madrid a chance to get you know to win a championship. But it was League never to... right there. He,
1: he, uh, he was hitting a bit of form, then he got the injury. But when he came back overweight and unfit for training uh preseason mm-hmm. and it just has been a kind of a disaster since then.
0: Yeah. Uh, And then, JJ, finally here, I want to talk about the first trophy of the season in England being handed out because I'm not including the the Community Shield. That's right. Manchester City for the third consecutive year. They really have a stranglehold on the League Cup. Good for them. Three straight for City.
1: Don't know what to say about this one, really. 2-0 after a half hour. It was going the way of just your regular mundane Premier League Yeah, Villa
0: at least made it interesting.
1: Second half, you... I mean, they were dreadfully... uh, uh, Claudio Bravo made a brilliant save to put the ball onto the post from a horror and free kick. I don't know who got the heather. I'm not sure. But um, if that goes in, then we're having a totally different conversation. May have gone to extra time. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just what City do in this competition. Now people are questioning the worth of the competition because City have won it so many times. I would...
0: Oh, what, that's ridiculous. Oh, it's happening. So. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so this I found interesting. Gary Neville, this this has been a season so far dominated by Liverpool in terms of like what we're going to remember about this year is Liverpool's greatness. But Gary Neville was speaking on his own podcast, um, and he, he said this. I'm reading now from uh, Sky Sports. Speaking on the Gary Neville podcast, Neville said a first Champions League win with City re- uh, leading Real Madrid 2-1 after the first leg of their last 16 tie would still surpass anything the club has achieved in previous years, including a record 100 point haul to lift the premier league trophy in 2018. Neville said they're wounded as a club. Maybe they needed that in some ways over the last few years in the champions league. They've always looked like they're not quite ready, but I have to say, I thought that performance at Real Madrid was excellent with a different level of feeling in it. It's interesting to me to think that in a year where city have been largely viewed as a disappointment and Liverpool like the conquering hero, um, Should this year end with – we don't know what will happen in the FA Cup, but we know City already have a trophy here and they're alive and well in the Champions League. If it ends with them hoisting that trophy too, I really wonder like the way this season is going to be remembered is a very strange thing. Gary Neville saying it could be their greatest triumph yet. In a year that like week in, week out, we talk about how kind of disappointing it's been. That's a strange thing to wrap your mind around.
1: I know, but it's the affirmation and the realization of everything that was – planned for when the owners bought the bought the club mm-hmm. and also it's Manchester City winning the European Cup the biggest club competition in the world that's that's it it's amazing and it would I mean we're talking about wouldn't it people would forget they won the League Cup if they win the Champions League well yeah of course be incredible yeah he's but, right like, he, there's nothing he's saying there that's incorrect um, again would it be an asterisk cup because of the pending ban from that competition for breaking rules Um, yeah.
0: I don't know that I would view it as as having an asterisk. They're going to pay for it moving forward, but I don't know that I view what they achieved this year. Like, I associate having an asterisk kind of with, like...
1: I mean, rule-breaking.
0: Well, yeah, you know what, I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose. But I don't, their fans certainly won't see it that way, nor should they.
1: No. Well, they won't. They're incapable of seeing it any other way.
0: Uh, I'll tell you what, we're gonna, let's, take a, uh, let's take a quick break here. We're going to come back. We're going to talk with Stefan Butzko about what happened in the Bundesliga over the weekend because they were bizarre scenes, uh, all centered around Hoffenheim, the club, and really centered around their owner, Dietmar Hopp, who has become, it seems, public enemy number one among uh, German fans outside of Hoffenheim. Uh, we're going to talk about why that is, what's going to happen next, uh, all of that. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now. On Caught Offside, JJ, I I got messages over the weekend, text messages from friends, and just like my own curiosity about what was happening in the Bundesliga, um, specifically around Bayern Munich's match, which ended in one of the most bizarre scenes that I feel like I can remember seeing in a game.
1: And Uh, you are a a concerned man who worries about elderly German billionaires.
0: (laughs) So, So, So all of this was kind of... On my mind, it all sort of was like piquing my curiosity, and I was getting a vibe from a lot of other people that their curiosity was piqued as well. So uh, as we do when we feel like we don't have all of the adequate answers on a subject, we're not too proud to deny that fact. We embrace our lack of knowledge, and we do things to try to fix that. So that's what we're doing right now. We're going to educate ourselves and all of you uh, by having Stefan Butzko back on the show now. He's the host of the Yellow Wall pod uh, for Borussia Dortmund, also a freelance writer who's covered the Bundesliga for a long time. Uh, He's been on with us before, and we're happy to have him back on again to shed some insight on what exactly happened over the weekend.
2: Stefan, what's up? How are you? Hello. How are you doing, gentlemen of two very fine women? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're good man it's good to hear from you again. I guess diving
0: right into this um can you just th- this is all around Dietmar Hopp, uh the chairman of Hoffenheim. Can you just give us sort of like the bare bones intro into why he is considered to be such a controversial figure?
2: So Dietmar Hopp is the co-founder of software giant SAP and with that made uh, billions of dollars. And uh, since 1990, he has invested about 350 million into an uh, unknown Kreisliga team, which is basically the 10th division in, in Germany and, like, uh, you know, a club I could join. Right. And, uh, <laughs> amateur. Yeah, it's an amateur team, uh, you know, on, on, on the level that we all would play mm. um, if, if you start out. Playing soccer in, in, in uh, Germany and don't know uh, you know what to do, then that's where you go. And uh, yeah, over the years, he has managed to bring them to the Bundesliga in 2008. They got promoted with the uh, home visitor average of six six thousand fans. So um, it's it's not really a real club. And the uh, the the problem is that uh, this is sort of in the spirit. Uh, or against the spirit of of the German football culture and which is the main gripe that German football fans have with Hoffenheim and obviously Dietmar Hopp in particular um, because he has sort of violated the spirit of the German 50 plus 1 rule which um, dictates that no majority stakeholder can own a German football club meaning 50 plus 1 shares always remain with the club and its members. So basically... I think for the American audience, that would be the the Green Bay Packers model, right? Mm. So, um, and since I think in 2005, the German Football Association lifted that rule for him, made an exception. Now he is the majority stakeholder of that club. And uh, since then, obviously, Red Bull with uh, RB Leipzig have done this similar thing, which is maybe even the more egregious violation of the spirit of that rule the big problem that uh, you have in germany is that uh, if any team or club would seriously contest the rule say you you actually want to own a german football club and you would uh, sue in european court you'd probably win which is why the you know the, the rule exists but basically they they make an exception for anyone who seriously threatens it and uh, so yeah it's what german football fans Relate to or or describe as a plastic club with not a big fan base or history or fan culture. You know, it only started basically in 2000. I don't know five or so for them to actually you know go up through the German divisions. And so this is why this team is is hated a lot, and especially Borussia Dortmund fans have never really stopped protesting, and uh, as German football fans usually do, um, they do not. Do that uh, in in the uh, fine English way, but uh, use insults. And I think it escalated when they showed a counterfight with them uh, with Dietmar mahop's yeah, face and and a crosshair. And uh, yeah, the billionaire couldn't really take it anymore, and then uh, lobbied for uh, people to a get banned and uh, for the German FA to take action. So basically what happened is that in 2017 the German FA promised that they will no longer use collective punishment at all and in 2018 there was then a ruling that uh, Dortmund would be handed a three-match suspension, the fans not being allowed to visit the Hoffenheim game anymore, Um, but that suspension was basically put out on probation and then in this, in December of 2019, Dortmund fans misbehaved once again and then uh, the probation basically was lifted and now uh, they are banned to attend Hoffenheim games for two more years. Mm. And because of that, uh, fans in the entire Bundesliga are showing solidarity and protesting this because the German FA broke its promise about the collective punishment because um, fans argue that uh, you, you just can't you know, punish 6,000, 5,000, I don't know, 8,000 8, visiting fans um, just because of a handful of fans uh, holding up a a mean banner.
1: So Stefan, what I'm curious about is, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this, how, how did we see, or how did this show of solidarity from the players for Hair Hop, how did that come about? Because... Somebody's got to ask the players. Hey, guys, can you can you do something that shows you're with you're against what the fans are doing? Does that, I mean and I, you know the way football supporters are are um, sorry footballers are in Germany. They're I wouldn't say afraid of the supporters, but kind of. I mean this this is this is bizarre. W- were they asked directly by Hoffenheim to stop playing and and kind of make a point?
2: Well, no. Um it, it's different. The influence of Dietmar Hopp goes through the German FA. Right. And German referees were advised to use the FIFA three-step protocol, which uh, basically is a tool against discrimination. Um, if if he gets defamed or slandered by by opposing fans or his own, I pre- presume, but they don't, obviously, um, then they could use that. And the, the three-step protocol is the first step if, if there's say, racial abuse or any other discriminatory um, incidents, the the first step is you stop the match, make an announcement. If it persists, you suspend the match. That means all players leave the field, go into the locker room, and then it still goes on. Then you abandon the match, right? And Bayern were winning 6-0 at the time when the game was suspended. So you were already at step two. And um, obviously all the players went into the... The away section to to lobby the Bayern fans, but um, the Bayern fans pretty much persisted there and and didn't want to stop. Um, you know, a, a protest of of a banner which which basically protested against collective punishments, and uh, so the the agreement was sort of made in the locker rooms by I guess Hoffenheim and and Bayern, I don't know front office people or so that they would just play the game out and then. It, it turned into this whole um you know show of solidarity for for Dietmar Hop um and and it sort of yielded with um, the entire Bayern players and 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 the the chairman Karl-Heinz Rummenigge and Dietmar Hop obviously standing then in front of the home section and and applauding and basically celebrating their uh fight against the discrimination of the poor old Dietmar Hop huh. so so essentially
0: the German FA made the decision beforehand to treat any sort of negative sign against this owner the same way that they would treat a racial incident in a
2: game. Yes, exactly. The, the, the main wow. issue now in Germany is um, that that people are very um, outraged over over the double standards because there were um, many incidents, obviously, in the, in the past – of of racial abuse. Um, recently, there was a cup match between Schalke and Hertha Berlin, and uh, to Riga, a, a player that uh, has black skin was uh, racially abused. I'm not sure if it were monkey shouts or or, mm. or or something like that, but um, obviously nothing really happened, and he got sent off in uh, I think injury time then because uh, he he was so upset that I don't know he he just had a little jostle or so. And uh, that sort of stands in the contrast and basically what is happening right now, the German FA says, you know, we have a history in obviously in in, in soccer of sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, right? Mm -hmm. So they're saying if you're a woman um, and you have to read sexist banners being held up by, by German fans every weekend, you are not... You, you do not have the same worth as this one billionaire in the eyes of the f a if you have black or brown skin or are you know discriminate discriminate against your faith you are not as worth as this one guy and so on and so forth so this this is really the the main point that a lot of people take you now and and are wondering whether the german f a will now suspend basically every game um where there's any sort of misbehavior in, in any sort of discriminatory way, because if that would be the case, I don't think a lot of Bundesliga games would end anymore. So, um, I would say this in an isolated way. If you if you look at you know um, how the reaction was, and you say, okay, here someone was discriminated against, and people protested him and insulted him as a son of a whore. Um, or his mother, rather, um, is obviously not great. And stopping the match and then showing solidarity is great. This, you know, is how human beings would behave on their best day. Obviously, but the problem is um, the the big underreaction to all the more egregious things happening in German Bundesliga stadiums and second Bundesliga stadiums.
1: Yeah, and it's a real problem conflating the abuse that someone gets merely be- merely because they have a different skin color to abuse which is directed towards Herr hop because of something he has done. But um, that I can see how that's going to cause problems. Um, Stefan, can I broaden this out just a little bit? We've seen in the past, in, in the very recent past, uh, fans leaving terraces, away terraces empty in Germany because they don't like the kick-off times, protests against the perceived ill of teams like RB Leipzig, and now the banners directly targeting the money men of German football. Is there a moment happening here? in German football where the fans are saying enough no further and that they really are showing that they don't like the direction in which the game is going
2: yeah German fans always show a lot of solidarity and are very proud of their fan culture and want to make sure that it stays the same so um, German fans already had the success with the protests against Monday night kickoffs and Mm. uh, the German FA or the DFL the German Football League uh has already said that in the next tv contract there will be no more monday kickoffs so um but they continue to protest that and um i mean there are several you know actions for example 20 is plenty is one thing where they stand up for cheap ticket prices saying that you know for for a standing seat (laughs) you, you shouldn't pay more than than 20 euros and and obviously um Yeah, they do that with a great solidarity. I think in 2012, there were protests called, um, I think, 2020, basically. And they stayed silent for the first 20 minutes collectively um, in all German football grounds to to make that point clear that they want cheap um, tickets. So, um, yeah, this has a long tradition in in German football that that fans across all clubs stand up for a common cause and uh, try to, you know... uh, Cur- curtain and and rein in the um, excesses of of uh, yeah basically big money coming into the league and everything just trying to be you know a, a corporate event people basically want want to keep their culture and fight for it
0: yes Stefan that was going to be my my final question um, because kind of viewing this from afar it sort of looks like Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund are kind of the clubs leading the line. Uh, against the likes of a, a Leipzig or a Hoffenheim. Is that accurate or is it more of kind of what you were just saying there? Is this really everyone across German football in unison together against these clubs?
2: No, it's it's pretty much everyone. Um, I mean, we have failed to mention that um, it wasn't only a Hoffenheim and Bayern that got uh, suspended. It was also on Sunday the Union against Wolfsburg match mm-hmm. where it went to the second step of the three-step FIFA protocol because fans were protesting um in in Dortmund against Freiburg this Saturday you saw um the referee stop the match because um there were insults heard at Dietmar Hopp. and uh, I think there was a banner and Cologne and Schalke I think the um the halftime kick off the or the kick off of the second half was delayed as well because there was a banner um so yeah this this basically goes through all of Germany and uh, the thing is now The uh, German police in the the Hoffenheim district, basically, in in that town, um, have set up a task force to go against hate and discrimination in in the fan section. So basically, what they're trying to do is uh, find the individual perpetrators and punish them for um, holding up up banners. So basically, um, this is sort of at a tipping point in German soccer where people now will be prosecuted if they uh you know insult someone or hold up a banner. Hmm. Um it's it happened before because Dietmar Hopp himself personally sued Dortmund fans and there were fines. Um but uh yeah now now the police is involved in in directly seeking um to to punish people and uh yeah this is sort of uh you know I think getting into a fight because obviously German fans will push back um, knowing how, how they usually behave, and they will probably not stop uh, protesting Dietmar Hopp in, in in general and obviously the collective punishment. So I assume there will be more uh, match stops and suspensions, and everyone will obviously now look very closely at German referees, whether they apply the same three-step protocol, should there be any racist abuse or, or similar incidents.
1: Wow. Yeah, I th- this is crazy because I don't think this could happen here because... Of well, the no. first event, uh, the First Amendment, and you wouldn't allow the police or the courts to be involved in what is what essentially, unless it's actual hate speech. Which, no, this,
0: uh, yeah, I mean, comparing this to an uh, American sports, this is all sounding pretty unprecedented. Like yeah. I can't think of a, a parallel, uh, even really to compare it to. This is fascinating stuff, Stefan. We'll. Uh, we're going to continue, obviously, to monitor this if it, if it does go down the road that you're saying where we could be looking at a situation with numerous Bundesliga matches not reaching completion. like It's, it's a crazy thought. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on this, and I'm sure we'll be in touch with you as, uh, as it continues to develop. Thanks so much, man.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. hope next time we actually get to talk about football. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Cheers, Stefan. Thanks. Our thanks to uh, Stefan Butzko. Always enjoy catching up uh, with him. I I think the last question I asked him, I asked for a reason about whether or not all of Germany is in lockstep. uh, Because I feel like, to me, that's kind of, I don't want to say the most important, but if Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich are leading the way in this, then I feel like it sends the wrong message. Like To me, that sends the message of, we are like the power structure of German football, and we will not tolerate threats to that. Like, you know, so if everyone though, if like Union Berlin feels the same, and if like second division teams feel the same, then to me it kind of eliminates that idea. It, then, then it goes to show that no, this is how this is how everyone universally feels in Germany. It's not just a Borussia Dortmund, Bayern. Munich. I, w- I
1: would think considering the the vast wealth that Bayern Munich have. Had And the way they've exerted that wealth over the league over 50 years plus, that when Union Berlin make the protest, it kind of makes a little bit more sense. And
0: I can really... Right. In fact, those are the protests that mean more to me than the Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund ones.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm just fascinated by the fact that they're going to get the police involved for for these issues. I mean, if it's a... The cross... Look, the crosshairs on anyone's head is not a good look. Of course not. But these are not issues of race. These are not issues of um, Anti-Semitism Discrimination or homophobia And to conflate the two things I think is the dangerous thing I think it lessens and erodes The actions that need to be taken In stadia When we hear racist taunting That's my view
0: Yep. Uh, We got a mailbag coming up in a sec But first JJ Let's talk about something else here If you don't know your numbers You don't know your business That's what NetSuite by Oracle has set out to solve because most companies don't have a clear picture of their finances, and that's why many businesses fail. The question for any business owner out there is, are you confident that you've got the right numbers at your fingertips? Serious entrepreneurs and finance teams run on NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite offers a full picture of all your finances all in one place in real time, right from your phone or your desktop. No more guessing, no more worry that what you don't know could kill your company. That's why NetSuite customers grow three times faster than the S&P 500, and you can too. Schedule your free demo right now and receive their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash offside. Set up your free demo and get your free guide today at netsuite.com slash offside. netsuite.com slash offside, S I. D E. You have a mailbag, I Mail Mailbeasy.
1: I want everyone to follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, at COSoccerPod, caught off site ESPN for the Instagram, and caught off site pod at gmail.com for your emails. We begin with Tony and Slough. As an Everton man, I am very annoyed at seeing our winner chalked off against United yesterday. What was your view of the decision to deny us the second goal?
0: Boy, those are never going to be clear to me. Um, I've seen ones that I thought, oh, that's a good goal that get ruled out. I've seen ones that like looked obviously in the wrong to me that get ruled in. So I struggle with those. You, not to steal a point that you were probably going to make, but I thought before the show you made a great point and that uh, all of this could have been avoided by the player getting up and getting out of that position.
1: I don't know what he was doing really because he seemed to be sat in, his, sat in his backside for a long, long time. Yeah. Um, I don't want to. I'd have to watch it again, though. I'd have to see it again.
0: And look, I don't want to tell Sigurdsson is who it was, right? I don't want to say that like he wasn't hurt. Like maybe he was in some pain or distress. I don't know, but I don't know. It seemed like he was capable of being able to get. Like you're just in such a you. You have to be aware of the position you're in with your team still attacking. Any shot on net, you have now become a liability. Well, here's
1: our our own Dale Johnson of ESPN um, now confirmed by the Premier League, as I've been explaining. The VAR advised the referee that Sigurdsson was in an offside position directly in the line of vision of David De Gea and made an obvious action that impacted De Gea's ability to make a save. I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure I buy that, but that is the rationale. that the the impacted De Gea's ability to make a save. I don't believe that. The deflection threw him to the right-hand side and the ball was going in whether Sigurdsson was there or not and he's not getting there.
0: Does that matter? But I don't know. I honestly don't know.
1: I, I'm not...
0: You're right. De Gea was never going to be able to make that save. But like Sigurdsson is... He is within De Gea's line See, of vision. See,
1: I've seen United get one of those. I always go back to the one at Preston where Wayne Rooney is in an offside position and he does this little body swerve step back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's upright. And the goalkeeper stops... Because he thinks Rooney's going to kick it in And it just dribbles into the net And the goal was given So I don't know
0: Yeah That's a tough one for Everton to take I'm sure And a frustrating (laughs) one for a podcast to have to explain So go watch the video (laughs) Um, Yeah
1: Flynn Birchfield Uh, If you would have told me What a name Flynn Birchfield (laughs) Yeah He sounds like a 1940s film star That's phenomenal Starring Flynn Birchfield (laughs) As Captain whatever Wow If you would have told me as a Spurs fan we would score two versus Wolves with Mourinho as our coach when he took over, I would have thought we'd have been a dominant performance. It's shocking how bad the defense has been. Senator, I give you the floor. This
0: has been the most frustrating thing about them. I think we all knew that there was going to be uh, spells of goal scoring that were where it was going to dry up, whether that be because of the way Mourinho chooses to play or perhaps more so because Harry Kane and and Sung Hyung Min are hurt. Um, I think what we did not expect was that their defense would be what it has become. And um, I think, you know, some of that is Mourinho. Some of that is the players themselves. I don't know that he knows yet what his preferred defensive line looks like. Like, it's you know it was Alderweireld and Vertonghen, and Vertonghen is now he's like out of the equation now. Uh, you know then it's Alderweireld and Davinson Sanchez. Well, Alderweireld didn't play this game over the weekend. Why that is, I'm not sure. There was some talk about he his wife just had a baby. Maybe that in some way played a role. Fatigue, I don't know. Um, so it was Sanchez and Eric Dyer has who, who has now come out and said that he's been pleading for years now to be moved back into a central defense. Uh, Position that he was pleading with Pochettino to put him there, and Pacchettino never relented, um, which seemed like it may have caused frostiness between them. You know, so, like, they don't know right now what their best center back pairing is, and that's a problem. We talk about that all the time with the U.S. men. How like that was a downfall of Jurgen Klinsmann. It felt like it was a different center half pairing every week for a team that Mourinho wants to play, which is and a style that he wants to play, which is typically defensive minded. If you're not stout there, it's gonna unravel. Yeah. And the frustrating things, it's to me, it's not just about those guys. Like Eric Dyer whiffed on a ball that he should have been able to clear for that first goal. Stuff like that is maddening. Um, but it isn't just them for every good thing that Serge Aurier does and in fairness to him cuz i've been on him for a couple years now like he does do good things he scored a brilliant goal at the end of the first half which felt like it was going to be huge in that game but then he does one two three things that drive you absolutely mad yeah. like you know, when when diego jota is like just marauding downfield and you know what he's capable of in the counterattack cuz they've you know wolves were doing that that's how they were choosing to play this game bring him down like i think it was 2-2 uh the goal that, that wolf scored to put them ahead like you got to be willing to take that yellow card i know we don't you know we don't love the negative tactics but like i'm sorry that's what your season is about now like it's not going to be pretty you got to find ways to get points especially at home and like ara does not do those things he's not great in defense i sometimes wonder why is he even a defender like just play midfield he's great in attack but he's a liability in defense um yeah i don't know it was uh even though even though Wolves are really good uh, and they're really going for it for a, a Champions League place, this felt that game felt like a, a little bit of a, a low point for me personally this season. On the heels of a frustrating Champions League game and a frustrating Chelsea game, so I, like, I,
1: look, I didn't get to see the whole game, but I'm getting tweets that Troy Parrott has been brought on in the 91st yeah. minute, which is two jeers from the Spurs fan. Like to me, that is a ridiculous scenario. Like, I mean, which scenario him? Bringing him on with so little time left to make an impact, like
0: yeah, I you know, don't know. I, Mourinho has been weird in that way. Like the the mo with him is that he's not willing to play young players. And when you look at the Troy Parrott situation, you'd say, well, yep, yeah, that's Mourinho. But then, like you see how willing he was to throw Tanganga into the mix, giving him his first start against Liverpool. Uh, so I don't know. It's all. It's all confusing. Like his lineup choices, yeah. everything right. He does, it feels like he doesn't know this team yet. And without knowing this team, it doesn't doesn't feel like he knows how he wants to play. I I'm, saw not to cut you off. I'm sorry. I'm going on a, a soliloquy here, but like Jermaine Genus at uh BBC on their website, he has something there that I thought was actually pretty rational, and it's essentially that like Mourinho, it's not going well right now, but I think you have to give him until the summer. Uh, To be able to to truly judge him, which is a thing I've been saying, simply because like Mourinho's he's not that guy that you bring in for reclamation and rebuilding projects. Like he took over a team that Pochettino had said needed to be torn apart. So like, you know, that's this season was always going to be clunky, Uh, and you're seeing that he this season is looking like a tryout for who he believes he can use next season. Uh, So I think next year is when the true judgments begin. But right now. You know, I can't disagree with a lot of the stuff you've said about how they're not fun to watch. This is, You expect more from Spurs. You're right on a lot of those fronts. I just continue to not be willing to judge them. I, I, think, just Se-
1: yet. I think Seb Stafford-Blower summed it up best for me. He said, Even the goals Spurs scored on Sunday seem to be random acts of chance, the results of little more than 10 seconds of briefly connected play, which
0: somehow just fell into place. The overall plan for the goals is what you've got to concern You're yourself. You're right. That's that's a little bit unfair to me. That's like almost like the narrative writing the story for you. Like, uh, under any other circumstance, we would look at the Serge Aurier goal and say, that's just nice counterattacking football from Tottenham. And that's a, a way that they've been playing yeah. from, from Pochettino last year all the way through now. So that's a little, look, the first one, yeah, kind of a bounce in front, uh, deflection. Bergvine capitalizes on it and knocks it home. Okay, stuff like that, maybe. But I feel like sometimes with Mourinho, we're, we're fishing and looking for, well, I'm fishing for, for a
1: system and, seeing you know, a style not of play. Not yet. No, yeah. not seen it yet.
0: Uh, Chris Allen, uh, might be a little
1: before your time, but the best equivalent to Erling Halland might be Fernando Valenzuela, who pitched for the Los Angeles Dodgers in the early 80s. In 1981, he became the first and still only pitcher to ever win the Cy Young and Rookie of the Year award in the same season, while starting the year 8-0 with five shutouts, and the Dodgers went on to win the World Series. I it's a great comment. call by
0: him. Now, that is before my time. However, I am as every baseball fan in this country is well aware of fernando mania uh from that time and that's i'm surprised i'm disappointed in myself that i didn't think of that because that's kind of like the standard in the u.s for when a guy just comes out of kind of comes out of obscurity to dominate and yeah that's a good call
1: uh instagram js4171 any thoughts on simon jordan ex palace chairman now talk sports show host Saying over the weekend, calling the calling on the Premier League to relegate City due to the financial violations. How do you think this story ends? I don't think it ends in relegation. I don't think the Premier League will do that. Um, maybe a points deduction, um, but again, I don't know. And maybe maybe they are going to pause and wait and see what the Court of Arbitration for Sport does on the UEFA and European competition side of things before they consider the Premier League's um, what they want to do about. Um, Any rule violations that would apply to the Premier League. Uh, Salima, hey guys, thanks for making the podcast something I can look forward to every week. Football isn't half as fun without your guys' commentary. Wow. That's very nice. So nice. Uh, My question is, can you suggest any good football documentaries? I love a good sports doc and I think it'd be helpful for some of us who want to learn about football history but feel overwhelmed by the decades and decades of information. Yeah. I can understand that. I'm a relatively newish Liverpool fan. I'm interested in any great stories. For example, I watched Sunderland till I die last year, and it helped shape how I view transfer windows and how lower league teams get the shaft. What are some of your favorite docs? Well, on that um, on that note, I would say take us home, League United, would be another one, good one to watch. As a Liverpool fan, you should watch Make Us Dream on Amazon Prime about Steven Gerrard, which I still think is such a window into the man's mind and soul. Uh, Two Escobars on ESPN. The 30 for 30 is a very good story, soccer-based story. Maradona, which is now on HBO Go. uh, Very, very good by Asif Capaldi. And uh, I always say The Impossible Job um, about Graham Taylor. Uh, Also, what's a football story?
0: um, Can I throw in a couple? Yeah, go on. Not to be a a company shill, but... um the uh, two other 30 for 30s that I thought were spectacular, um, the The one on Hillsborough, I thought, oh, is, yeah. it's, to me, it's almost – if you're a soccer fan, it's almost a staple. Like I almost feel like you have to see it just so you right you can at least – no one – if you weren't there, you'll never be able to truly know what it was like and what it felt like. But I feel like that documentary, it brings you pretty close. It really and does. And I think it's really important. And then also uh, the 30 for 30, George Best, all by himself – uh, I thought was fa- a fascinating look at like this, this really enigmatic figure, um, one of the all-time greats for Manchester United, and uh, like how his career sort of spiraled because of off the field, just sort of almost right. like a, a Maradona before Maradona.
1: That's right, and uh, that was um, the same director who we had on the podcast. Yeah. Um, what's a football story moment incident you think should be a documentary and hasn't been made yet? It's a so that was made I thought
0: by I thought Fox
1: had How have I not seen it?
0: I, I believe that there is a documentary from Fox uh on that. Mm. I'll double check, but check it out. Go on YouTube or something and look and see. Because I'm pretty sure that they do have one.
1: I think the unpleasantness in twenty seventeen is documentary worthy.
0: Is there one on Cantana?
1: Good question. I,
0: I would be curious about that.
1: Yeah. Cantana. And Everything from like, like I, I would like a a biopic of the downfall of FIFA, like a really good one with Chuck Blazer played by somebody.
0: Okay, because I I would gladly refer to you to United Passions. No, oh. Andrew, we're not allowed to do that. Oh, okay.
1: That is a piece of what they call propaganda. <laughs>
0: wow. And uh, that's it. That's it. Wow. A for piece for of this propaganda. week. For this week. Very quick. What to watch for? Um, some good midweek action here. FA Cup, uh, great one. Tuesday, 245, Chelsea and Liverpool. Get right back on that horse, JJ. You nervous? No. I bet you're nervous. No, I oh, look forward the to this game. The season is unraveling. It's all coming apart. Oh, and yeah. then Thursday at 245, hmm. How can we make a seemingly innocuous fixture list as interesting as possible? Where does Wayne Rooney play? Darby County. Yeah, put them against United. Just by coincidence, they will play each other. Derby and Manchester United. Yeah, that just happened.
1: Derby country, as Bielsa calls them.
0: That just happened. Uh, That'll be fun, seeing Wayne Rooney against his former team.
1: Yeah, it will. With a point to prove. I was going to say with a point to prove.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a stupid
1: comment. Oh, my God. With a point to prove. Well, that sometimes at this point in the podcast, when I'm looking You're forward it. to the red cards and man of the match and all that stuff, it's kind of just like I, I I go on autopilot. Yeah, I seriously. Yeah, I,
0: I should, A I, good journalist would have pushed you there and said, "JJ, expound on the point in I, which he <laughs> has." <prove> win Rooney <laughs> has to
1: prove a point, it's basically you put me on a on airplane mode. Sometimes I see. Uh,
0: I, I get that. I do that to myself. Uh, Copa Italia also continues. Um, we think. I'll get to that in a sec. Wednesday, two forty-five, second leg, Juventus and AC Milan. It's one-one right now on aggregate. Everything to play for. And then Thursday, two forty-five, Napoli and Inter. Uh, this one back I- uh, at Napoli. They lead one-nil heading in to the second leg. Uh, let's see. We got red cards and man of the match in just a sec, JJ. But you know, it just keeps on keeping on. Um, um you ready? Yeah. Here we go. When it comes to scoring, great hires for your business. Zip recruiter. Bingo Bongo. You may be up against a few obstacles like an overwhelming amount of resumes. Too many applicants, but not enough of the right ones. Trouble spotting the most qualified candidates in a sea of possibilities. That's why you need ZipRecruiter on your team. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier, and now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. First, when you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then, ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology hustles for you to find people with the right experience for your job and invites them to apply. In fact, check out this stat. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Gretchen Hebner And Dylan Miskowitz. So add ZipRecruiter to your roster to help you win the hiring game. To try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com offside. That's ziprecruiter.com slash offside, O-F-F-S-I-D-E, ziprecruiter.com slash offside, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, let's continue this now with this. Red, Red
1: card. card. You
0: want to go first? Yeah. Right.
1: Um, this is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Uh, Manchester United and analytics. Uh, this is from David Orenstein in The Athletic. Manchester United spent the last day of the transfer window scrabbling around trying to sign a striker, finally landing on Odion and Nigallo. And the club are determined not to have a repeat of their seemingly, seemingly, he writes, occasional, occasional, he writes, haphazard approach to signings by hiring a team of eight to help identify talent through the use of data. Led by a head of analytics... The new department will use data to profile potential targets, as well as contribute to United's academy and medical teams. United do use analysis at the moment, particularly video. What is this, 1995? We've got video now. Video
0: analysis. Like, this is
1: so cutting edge. But our, surprisingly a little behind if you've seen them over the last 5 years you wouldn't say they're mo- uh, you wouldn't be surprised by that when it comes to data in recruitment instead paying big money for high profile players so the move is a positive step forward
0: i mean yes it is but it screams of them being more interested in winning the press conference than winning the games how far behind is this talk yeah this is insane. For a club like that, that is really surprising. Now, look, I know
1: not every club is sold. We, we, we heard about the great argument at Fulham a few seasons back about data and about how they would use analytics in terms of team selection and stuff right. like that. But, I mean, you're Manchester United. Leicester have analytics longer the Manchester United will have at this point.
0: Well, that's the thing is, like, you you're united. You have more money than you really could ever know what to do with. So, like, have an analytics department and then, like, decide how you want to utilize. But it. it's
1: but it's a, a holistic approach. You know, it's not <laughs> just it's the eye test. People go and watch players. They also look at the data. It's 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 remarkable nah, to me. I,
0: I think you got to it with what you were saying there originally, and that it's just like this. The, who was it that you were reading? the, the spla- David Arons, the splashy names is more of what they're intrigued by rather than fit and, you know, data. In the year of our Lord,
1: 2020. Come yeah. on.
0: Uh, my red card, JJ, this is this is an interesting one. This red card goes to everyone who immediately crushed Drew Fisher on Saturday night. Do you know who Drew Fisher, <laughs> Drew Fisher is? Go on. See, someone like myself, uh, if I don't necessarily have a rooting interest in the game, I'll go ahead and I'll root for the referee. Sure. Because I'm a nice guy like that. Drew Fisher was the referee for Nashville versus Atlanta
1: oh, with the uh yeah. late
0: in the game, if you weren't watching, Joe Willis came flying out of his net for Nashville to try and break up a possible Atlanta breakaway. He got to the ball first, uh but in his like effort to knock it away, Atlanta still maintained possession. Um, at which point Ezekiel Barco fired a shot from 50 yards out that Willis, who was right next to Barco, just threw his arms up at and blocked as though they were like in the six-yard box. Right. Um, amazingly, uh, this received a yellow. Joe Willis. Everyone watching was sure it was a straight, yeah, a straight red for intentional handball on a clear goal-scoring opportunity, but. Drew Fisher went to his pocket, showed Willis a yellow, and Twitter subsequently exploded. The mockery, the outrage, it came fast and furious from fans, from journalists. Uh, I'll admit, I was watching this in bed. When this happened, I shot out of bed and just like my wife did not wake up. Thankfully, because it would have been annoying to have to explain to her why I was like that. But I was like, "That's red." Like it, it was one of those things. Good red, job. That's the, red. The most excited you've been in bed for years, Andrew. <laughs> wow, you got some nerve. You don't know what's going on. <laughs> How dare you? Um, but we were all wrong. And Fisher was right. And here's why. I'm reading because it's this. not a
1: clear goal-scoring opportunity. I'm reading this from
0: MLSsoccer.com. Uh, here's why it was not a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. Distance matters here. The Atlanta player's shot on goal came from near, near the halfway line, approximately 55 yards from goal, and there were no other Atlanta players ahead of the ball who could have run onto the shot. Instead, there was a defender chasing back, and that Nashville player was in position to be first to reach the ball if the shot didn't have the direction or pace to make it to the goal. So cross that off. Next, here's why it was not a denial of an outright goal. The only other option to consider is whether Willis denied a goal outright by his handling of the ball outside the penalty area. For this offense to be penalized, the referee would need to be sure that the goalkeeper stopped the ball from entering the goal. At 50 yards out, it's impossible to know this with any certainty. It's much easier to determine in cases when the infraction takes place closer to goal. So, everyone who couldn't wait to run to social media and crush this poor guy, and you're all out there, I saw the tweets. You're all out there. You all made fun of him. Even the referees don't know the rules. This is pathetic. He knew better than all of you, and VAR upheld it. So hate the rule, but don't hate the man enforcing it. Everyone together now to Drew Fisher. Sorry. Go, Uh, referees, go. Yeah, that would be your take, (laughs) wouldn't it? Caught off sides, man of the match. What
1: do you have? Rules help us enjoy the fun.
0: Without rules, JJ, there's chaos. Uh, this is from Football Italia,
1: and again, I am not saying that any of this is good necessarily. I am shoehorning. It is good, but also... I love
0: when you shoehorn in to your man of the match and red card. Right, so,
1: I mean, here we go. <laughs> the legendary, hardline Lazio Ultras group, the Irreducibly, have announced they have disbanded after 33 years, citing too much blood, too many arrests.
0: Oh, so- These are soccer fans. In their statement, too much blood.
1: The announcement was made with a press statement by the group themselves who were fixtures in the curva nord of the Stadio Olimpico over three decades. As with all things in life, there is a beginning and an inevitable and inevitably an end, read the statement. Like there's some mom and pop bakery that's closing down. There is a time for everything. Fascism and violence. Don't don't know about that. So the curtain closes sooner or later, even on those fantastic, glorious stories. Hmm. The Just reason, read it. The reason given for the disbanding was the clampdown on violent racist and anti-Semitic elements in the ultras movement, not to mention last year's assassination of their former leader, known as a Diabolique. Too much blood, too many banning orders, too many arrests. After 33 years, we have decided to disband the group. From today, there will be a new dawn for the Curva Nord. For the first time, only one banner will be present in the stands, behind which all the Lazio supporters will be gathered. Ultras Lazio. We have the same desire of ever as ever, the same enthusiasm and adrenaline. A piece of our history is closed off. So many of us lost our liberty and even our lives for that banner. So this is like this. This is more like news rather than
0: this is stuff I can't. I can't relate to this stuff. Like I think I'm a huge fan, and I think I know what that well, means. Of course, like, I, don't not a what, I don't know what. I don't know what. I don't know what this is. Yeah, like. To talk about the blood that has been spilled during your time as a fan. The
1: glowing terms in which they discuss it. Now, they they had huge influence. In the mid-1990s, they marched to the training ground to confront and hold meetings with players, coaches, captains, and they were let in. They had far too much sway in the club, considering they were a violent extremist organization by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Just hearing him say, like, we have to disband because of all the bloodshed and, like, it's just wild. Like, you ever see the outtakes of Anchorman yeah. <laughs> at the end when they ask Brick Tamlin while he's giving the weather, Brick, you're going to be having your celebrity golf tournament again this year? And he says, oh, no, too many people died last year. Not with the weather. <laughs> like, it's just like, right. what? <laughs> I don't know. Very, like, that's just crazy to me, like, to associate just supporting a team with murder and killing. I don't know. Uh, my man of the match, JJ, I'm actually going to stay in Italy. Uh, Syria Ah, kind of in general, gets my man of the match. We're often hard on this league for their handling of certain social situations, but I actually want to applaud them for their handling of this current health situation. Uh, in dealing with the vagaries of a virus like the coronavirus, there really is no playbook for this. They are seemingly creating it on the fly, and I think they're actually doing the right things right now in prioritizing public health over competition. Six matches were postponed this past weekend, including the biggest game of the year between Juventus and Inter Milan. This came on the heels of four matches being suspended last weekend, and there are surely more to follow. This is from The Guardian. Um, The total number of people affected with the new coronavirus in Italy has risen to 1,694, a 50% jump from just 24 hours earlier. Five more people infected with the virus have died, bringing the deaths in Italy to 34. Uh, Inter's chief executive Giuseppe Morata even suggested that this crisis could cause the season to go unfinished. There will be an emergency meeting this Wednesday to, quote, examine the consequences the governmental measures related to coronavirus have had on the fixture list. Uh, Like I said, these are not easy decisions. Um, But it feels like the situation is actually being approached from a pretty rational and health-conscious standpoint up to this point. We'll see if that continues. Hopefully, it does.
1: Yeah, and I suppose I can add on to that. Uh, Rob Harris of the Associated Press, he tweets out, uh, Rainy Amsterdam for tomorrow's UEFA Nations League draw. Yes, it's back. And meetings of all European football nation chiefs just as concerns about hashtag COVID-19 coronavirus grow. And made concerns about Euro 2020... UEFA President Alexander Serafin tells meeting in Amsterdam that panic around coronavirus may be worse than the virus itself, which is not a line I would be taking. Um, and you wonder about Euro 2020 if this thing continues
0: to spread in the manner that it has. Well, it sounds this like, is
1: a multi-city, multi-nation tournament.
0: It sounds like as of now, the Olympics are going to go ahead in Tokyo Um so i 'm sure I bet there 's communication right now between the two bodies, like the i o c and UEFA, and really all these international any sort of international meeting right now in a time when something like this is spreading yeah. is you know I, everyone has their guard up and, and there is there is a certain level of, of panic associated with it. Um, but you know you need doctors in these meetings and you need health professionals in these meetings to let you know when, yes and i and i, and I
1: would say that in in this country the um cdc website is the website you should be going on for advice on uh, how to you know wash your hands correctly do all take all the appropriate steps so is the world health organization yeah. anywhere else
0: I'm not just, yeah. Stick with the experts. Yep. Uh, So there you have it. What a, this, man, what an incredibly eventful week. So much soccer. Uh, This was, there was a lot of football this weekend, but I don't know that I would have uh, qualified this weekend as a too much football weekend. No. This this stuff all mattered to me. This
1: was a nice platter.
0: Yeah. Um, Real quick, before we get out, even amongst all of that soccer, uh, every once in a while we like to give our recommendations on things uh, in pop culture. Uh, I have two for you, JJ. Uh, I started watching Hunters on Amazon Prime. And? Which anyone who knows me knows that that would be a show right up my alley. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. I like it. I've seen the first two so far. It's with Al Pacino. It's about a, it takes place late 70s and it's basically a, um, uh, this kind of vigilante group that is out to find, uh, Nazis that had defected to uh, the U.S. kind of covertly after World War II, and it's this vigilante group headed by Al Pacino uh, that's trying to find them and you know take it from there. Uh, what happens next? I like it. It's kind of it's kind of like the Americans meets like some kind of Quentin Tarantino movie. It's but it's from Jordan Peele. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, he's he's the creator. I think I don't know if director also, but it's from him, um, and it's kind of i like it i'm good with it so far and then i want to give a follow-up one thing that i said last year um, that i said i was curious about and then i kind of went quiet um i don't know if this is guilty pleasure or not jj but i am officially ready to say that i'm obsessed with the show on the history channel called project blue book there it is everyone are you happy you all have heard it now i love that show i'll scream it from the top of the mountain sure it's about aliens and like weird kind of stuff but i think it's I enjoy every week that it's on. I can't wait to watch it Tuesday nights on the History Channel. I love it. I just absolutely love it. I don't know if I'm recommending this to all of you, but I just I feel like I needed to say it. I, I, I've now declared myself to be obsessed with that show.
1: I'll have to give it a go. It's
0: in the second season right now. You, you know who's in it? Uh, Littlefinger from... Uh, um, the Irish actor. Yeah, is Aiden Gillen is Aiden that Gillen. Name? Brilliant actor. He's great. He's excellent. He's tremendous. Um, another one of these um another one of these guys who has a different accent in every single thing that he's in. No one really knows what he sounds like.
1: Oh, Irish people Irish actors have a great range of accents. We have to. We, otherwise we, there's
0: not a lot <laughs>
1: You can do with this accent, guys. Let <laughs> well, me tell you. Well, you're ya. making it work. I am making it work. Uh, oh, one more thing. Yeah. Better Call Saul is back, so I'm, I'm, I'm well, diving know, into that. i yeah. oh, obsessed with it. Um, and the first episode was really, really good. Nice. So uh, people should get... I missed Curb this weekend.
0: Yeah, I'll, it was so only last back. night. We'll watch it tonight. All right.
1: We'll watch it tonight. Yeah, we'll, yeah
0: we're gonna, we'll call each other on the count of three. We'll hit play together. We'll put our phones and we'll laugh together. Like we're sitting next to each other on the couch. Just we- a couple of buds. Not a bad idea. <laughs> we'll record it, put it out as a podcast, and it'll end up in the ringer. Wow. Oh, my God. You animal. <laughs> well, hey, this was fun, man. Uh, midweek action to come. FA Cup, Copa Italia, lots of good stuff. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care.
1: You've been listening to the
0: Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.